Children are dismissed back to Praise Factory. If you've got your Bible or you want to take your phone uh, and and look at Romans chapter 12, we're going to read starting in verse 9 there this morning as we we continue our, our walk through the book of Romans. And so we're in Romans chapter 12, and we'll start reading in verse 9. The scriptures say, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor, do not be slothful in zeal, be fervent in spirit, serve the Lord, rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Let's pray as we turn to the explanation and uh, the understanding of God's word. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we have heard you speak. The scriptures say that you, by the power of your spirit, moved in those who wrote these words, and you inspired them. You exhaled your intent, and the Spirit communicated through them and used their personalities and their quirks and their ways of expressing things, and and you preserved in this book the teachings which you desired your church to know. We thank you that you did that because the culture shifts and attitudes shift and we have good days and bad days, but your word remains the same, just as you remain the same. And so though we may misunderstand things at times or we may forget about things, your word is there to remind us. And so we pray as you bring us a reminder from your word this morning, we pray that we would be shaped and challenged and changed and transformed. Lord, we thank you that you've called us to this time of hearing, and we pray that you would shape us into those who are ready to serve you. We thank you for the grace that you call us into partnership with you in doing your work in the world, and we pray that we would live in a way that honors you and that is faithful to you, Lord. We pray this knowing that you are good, and we pray this thankful for Jesus, in whose name we pray. Amen. Um, You you may or may not know this, but standards are important, right? Standards and uh, the standardization of things and symbols are are incredibly important. Maybe you've been uh, driving before and you've seen off to the side of the road uh, there, there may be a sign, right? A blue sign with a, a large letter H on it, right? And that means 
hotel, right? No, it means hospital. It's important that signs are, are standard and that the symbols are, are standardized, right? Like often the signs that you need to look at are on the right side of the road and not on the left, right? Left exits confuse me, you know? Like all of a sudden it's, it's like, you know, the, the, the GPS will say, you know, get off at the next exit, you know, but it will also tell you to, to stay left. And you're like, whoa, what's going on here? What do, I, what do I have to do? Because we're used to exiting on the right. Right? A left exit is, is strange. Signs go on the right. The, the symbols that we use to identify things like the fork and the plate to mean food, or the fork and the knife to mean food, or the tent that means camping, we absorb these things and we interpret the world using them. Uh, if, if, you've, if you've ever traveled internationally, I find it kind of amazing that the symbols are all the same, you know? Like as you go from airport to airport, there is this language that's speaking to you. You don't have to say anything out loud. There are all these signs, these symbols out there to, to, to teach you or tell you where you need to go and what you need to do, how to find what you want. If there were no standards, if there, there wasn't some group that says, this is the universal symbol for the men's room and the women's room, right? There would be chaos and confusion. And there has been chaos and confusion for me, at least in, in certain rural, remote parts of Africa, you know, where you are three hours off of, as they call it, the tarmac. And it is not immediately evident what that word means. Is that the guy's place or the girl's place? You know, and then you have to make this decision. You know, do I go in there or do, do I not, right? Chaos, anxiety, nerves. Um, there's a place, I think it's in, in Paris, it's the International Bureau of Weights and, and Standards, right? And there in this, uh, in this museum, you, you go in and they've got all kinds of things like they've got slide rules, which used to be super important, you know, and now nobody knows what a slide rule is anymore. There's all kinds of devices and things about how they measure things, but if you go into the vault, they actually have a, a, a foot, not a human foot, they have like a foot, you know, like a, like a ruler, and, and it's the official international standard, like if Somebody wants to know we're, we're starting uh, a brand new country and we need to have weights and standards, right? You can go there and you can take your measurement and compare it to the actual real 12 inches. This ruler that I've got here, right? I like this because it's got the little cork on the back of it. It doesn't slide, it's metal, you know, I can draw a straight line. But right, right here where it says zero inch, right between the zero and the one, there's this little extra piece there. It's not really a foot long. And then over on this end, there's like this extra half inch. Like this is not a foot, you know? If I, if I, if I want to measure a standard, this is not up to standard, even though the, the marks are. This one is one foot, and it's one foot even, but it's made out of wood, right? And it's bumpy, and I can't use it for a straight line anymore. Uh, how do you measure, how do you measure a church? How do you measure a group of disciples? Uh, this is a question that I think uh, deserves attention because if we don't have a good answer, then chaos, right? Um, if we measure a church 
by the size of the facility, then smaller buildings are bad, right? And bigger buildings are good. If you're uh, measuring the, uh, the, the success of the church by whether or not you're meeting budget, right? Then a smaller building might be good because your electric bill is lower and therefore success and that, that church is bad. You, you can measure by the number of attenders, right? More people are better than less people, right? You can measure the pastor against that standard. If, 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 if he were better, there would be more people, right? There was, I was telling somebody recently, there was a period for about three years where whenever anybody would ask me, um, so you're a pastor? I'd say, yeah. They'd say, how many people go to your church? And if they were, if they were a pastor, like a, particularly local people, um, I would say a 1,000. Just right off the bat, I'd just say a 1,000 people, and they'd say, oh, Really? And, and, you know, I would say, no, like, why does it make any difference? Just kind of like, you know, shake them up a little bit. Because immediately there was this weird, like, I had no idea what's going on at your church. Like, suddenly, your, my understanding or interpretation of you has changed. I, was, I suddenly realized in their eyes I was worth more because there were a thousand people, a thousand fictional people, you know. Um, <laughs> do you measure a church by the amount of the offerings what is the standard? The good news is that in a culture of chaos that says, you know, if we have, if we have a massive number of spontaneous baptisms or if, you know, if we start something new and a thousand people come or if, you know, we, we sing a song and everybody raises their hands, there's all these different standards. The good news is that God's word contains the standard for the church. And so we can be delivered from this kind of chaos. Jesus speaks to the church. This is the night before he goes to the cross, and this is what he tells the church. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples. This is the stamp of approval. Is it a church? Is it, are these people God's people or not? By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Francis Schaeffer says something very interesting on this point. He says this, Jesus is saying to the world that the world has a right to judge someone whether or not they are his disciple on this basis, on the basis of whether they love or not. What is the mark of the true Christian? The world can say that is a Christian and that is not. That might be, you know, that's a, that's a rough test. By this, he says, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Let's kick it up a notch, okay? John 17, 23, Jesus says, I in them. He's praying for his church. He's praying to his father. And he's talking about the, the unity and the harmony and the community that he had with his father and with the spirit before all time. And he's saying, I in them, in my, in my church, and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. 
me. Jesus is raising the standard here. What he's saying is that the world has the right to look at the church and to look at the harmony and the unity and the care and the love within the church and to say whether or not the Father sent the Son based on their love and unity with one another. Isn't that amazing? The world is going to judge whether or not this is real on the basis of something that is open to observation. It is, it is not whether or not the church is performing miracles, and it's not the size of the church, and it's not the rhetoric of the church, it's not the great preaching, it's not the great music, it's not the wonderful architecture, it's not the beautiful paintings that adorn some churches, it's the quality of the community and their love for one another. I think in some sense, putting up buildings might be easy, right, in comparison. What is very interesting about this section is many scholars, uh, there's, a, there's a group of scholars who they call this a, a morality list here, right? Um, and, and, and sometimes Bible scholars, uh, I think they've, they've, they, have, they have scholared all the way through Romans and they get to this point you know, and they've worked through 9, 10, and 11 and they've done great things with uh, Romans 12, 1 through 2 and then maybe they just get tired at this point of writing their commentary and they're like, man, this, none of this stuff hangs together. There's no central theme. It's just a, it's just a list. It's a stew of stuff, right? Uh, I think the Italians would call it jambat, you know, like just throw everything in a pot and cook it up and there, there it is. This is dinner, right? Smorgasbord. Buffet. No. What Paul is talking about here is he's saying, here are 12 qualities. Like, this is the standard and measure of the church and its love. What he is pointing out here is that there is a brotherly love that ought to pervade the church. A genuine love. There's, there's the, the, the sincere love that ought to work through the whole church. That church is, is, is there's two qualities here. He speaks about loving one another and points out this, this idea that we are to care for one another with a shepherding kind of a care. This is more of a, a parenting kind of love, right? A preserving uh, kind of love. And then he says, love one another with brotherly affection. Um, that may mean something different to you than it means to me, right? You know, my brother and I, our relationship, there's, there's a bit of comparison, right? There's a bit of competition there. There's a little bit of, um, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a little further along than you are in this way. You know, you're a little further along, and we're like, we, we vie with each other, but we do it for our own good, right? It used to be like a certain dominance, you know? You're dominant in this way, and he was always kind of dominant in a lot of ways because he's bigger than me and older than me. Um, but but there is a there is a a love that is that is accepting and open and will always love you and embrace you that comes from parents, right? Brotherly love is kind of like we're we're bros and we fist pound and hug and we visit each other and see each other and we're glad to be in each other's community, but we're not afraid to say what's up with that? What's going on there? You know, a little, bit of, a little bit of competition there. True, real, genuine love in community doesn't mean what our culture says it means. It's not romantic love. It's not like 
co-worker harmony, you know, where we all just kind of get along for these eight hours and then go home and do our own thing. Brotherly love is, is we're invested and involved in each other's lives. There's, a, there's a, 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 a spirit that is racing and running together that's living out the family values and seeking the good of the family. What is the foundation of the love of the church? Look in Romans 5.8, where it says that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God moves out of loving action first. He takes the first step and shows his care and affection to those who do not deserve it. The, the scriptures say in Romans 5, 5, hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured in our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. Love is a giving, engaging, investing kind of behavior. God seeks the good of his family and his people. And he doesn't say, here are the standards, just run with it, right? You know, just, just live up to it. He says, I will give you the ability. I will empower you through the Holy Spirit. I'll put my presence in you and, and, and enable you to follow. He pours the Holy Spirit into our hearts. I don't know about you, but if, you know, in, in, in your in your parenting or babysitting experience, pouring always makes me nervous. Pouring is like a moment of anxiety, you know? Uh, and there, there's the heightened anxiety of the, the, like the high pour that kids occasionally do, you know, where they're like, whoa, you know, and they bring the, the can or the jar way up. And, you know, when, when liquid's falling from about a foot or a foot and a half, you know, it's splattering, and I'm just like, ah, stop. But there's this, there's this feeling of abundance, I believe, that comes from the idea of, of pouring the love of God. That's not, that's not there when it's just kind of like deposited in front of us or handed to us. There's, there's, a, there's a, a generosity to it. His love has been poured into our hearts. And this love does not change. Who shall separate us? From the love of Christ. Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, will these things separate us from God's love? Paul goes on to say that nothing in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. His love is the foundation of the community's love for one another. This section here is... Uh, focusing on the internal love of the church, the, the love of the community, and how it is to be expressed and measured. You can see uh, in, in verse 10 and in verse 16, three times the, the phrase one another is used. And so it's an inward focus. These, these commands are focused inwardly towards the church. Uh, the, the, the phrase brotherly love is used in verse 10. And in verse 13, the church is called God's people. In verse 17, he's going to veer out of the, the, uh, the recipe, out of this buffet, supposed buffet of commands, and he's going to talk about how we're to handle uh, love for our enemies, people who disagree with us. But in this section, 9 to 16, he's talking about how the church cares for one another. So what are these 12 qualities or these 12 standards then? First, 
he says in verse 9, let love be genuine. The love that is to be, to be, that to be in the church is to be sincere. It's distinct from outward love only. Uh, many times when, uh, when, when I was in grad school getting my uh, master's degree, you know, so that I could be a pastor, we were, we were kind of bouncing around from church to church. It was, it was strange why we'd move, you know, things would, conditions would change. I also, as a part of my, uh, my schooling, I always had to be active in ministry in a church. And so sometimes there wouldn't be an opportunity and I'd talk to the leader and I'd say, I got to go find something else. And we'd, we'd go to a bunch of churches and people would, would regularly and routinely say to us, we'll have to have you over at the house sometime. And we were like, cool, friends, right? But in the South, where we were, uh, so let's not indict the whole South. In Columbia, South Carolina, <laughs> if you're from there, I'm sorry, right? We'll have to have you over means we will never have you over, <laughs> right? It's, have, have you ever said something to someone like, I'll get right on that, right? You know, or, uh, yeah, you know. And, and you do not mean it at all. Like you are just saying words, right? We also call this lying, right? <laughs> love within the church isn't supposed to be, you know what? Of course I love that brother in the Lord, right? Where when you say I love that brother in the Lord, what you mean is, yes, he has many irritating qualities. I agree with you, <laughs> right? No, there's, there's, it's not to be an outward form only. It's to be true and, and thorough, the believer ought not to be like Judas who can walk up to Jesus and kiss him and call him master and then betray him. He's the model of who not to be. The love in the church is to be free from hypocrisy and to be sincere and, and flowing. That's quality number one, a sincere love. The second is that it's to be a discerning love. And we talked about this a bunch last week, so I'm just going to kind of move through this. Uh, discerning love holds fast to what is good and throws away what's bad, right? I've heard a number of, of productivity people recommend that you make a to-do list of all the things that you're supposed to do each and every day. But as you identify certain traps in your life, right, certain, certain places where you just get stuck, you ought to make a, uh, a don't-do list, right? You know, one of the things that I don't do anymore is pair my socks because it's a recipe for insanity, you know? Like, there's just, there's too many people, our, the, the, the males in my house, our feet are all similar sizes, you know, like, and so, like, getting all that stuff, sometimes you just gotta, you know, you, you gotta give up on something. This is a waste of my time to try to get it perfect. You know what I do? I throw it away, and I go and I get new socks, right? That's the way, and then I hide them. Come on. Yeah discerning. What is good and what is bad? What ought we to hold fast to and what should we let go? What, what is being said here, though, is that love is not this uh, amorphous, positive, warm feeling that so many people in our culture think it is. Love needs to be protected and it needs to be fed and it needs to be nourished. And so we need to look at behavior, we need to look at attitudes, and we need to say, that's bad, and this is good. Uh, there's a little tiny book, um, just uh, uh, probably about 100 very small pages, a little book called uh, When Your Marriage is in Trouble. And the author of that book, he says, 
that the regular behavior of your life ought to be planting seeds and pulling weeds. I think that's good for every single relationship. Hey, you know, in la- the last time we talked, I just felt like a little bit of distance between you and I. Is everything all right? Have I done anything wrong? Can you help me? Right? And don't, let's remember, love is supposed to be sincere. You know, hey, the last time I talked with you, I felt you were a little distant, and I think that that's got something to do with the fact that we had this argument or disagreement. Maybe we can clear that up because I respect you and appreciate you. I just want to make sure there's no distance between us, right? That's pulling weeds. Sometimes the weed gets so high, you can't run the lawnmower anymore, right? You know, you got to call in a professional with saws and stuff to cut down the trees and things that have grown up. So love ought to be sincere. It ought to be discerning. Love also ought to express genuine affection. There needs to be a devotion towards one another. This is verse 10. Uh, Love one another with brotherly affection. There's a devotion to one another that that is uh, focused on a a parental kind of love, right? Parental love, father and mother love, is developmental, right? Right? You know, you have to say to your kids at some point, hey, this is bad for you and you need to stop doing this. You need to overcome it. You need to learn how to go around it. And keep running in this way. Right? Has anybody ever said, I love you too much to let you keep acting this way or to not say something to you? It's a, it's a, a leading on. It's a loving the best possible future for that person, enough to say, hey, this needs to change. This needs to go away, or you can overcome that. Love one another, be devoted to one another, is a a stick-with-it kind of love. But it's also, what, what, as he expresses it here, he, he, talks, he uses this term in the very beginning, love one another, that, that, that evokes this parental feeling. But then he adds with brotherly affection at the end. And that is a collegial community kind of love, right? As, as people come into the church, they might not know much about following Christ. They might not know much about the standards. They might not know much about the grace of God or the care or kindness. We need to lead that person on towards maturity. But at some point, don't we all reach a place within the Christian family where there's not a whole lot of stuff left to learn? What we need to do is to stick together as a pack and run the race with endurance and love and care for one another. And as different things pop up in our life, as different problems come, as, as struggles occur, we gotta say, hey, you know what? I am devoted to you and I care for you and I will walk through this difficult time with you. That's a community or a collegial or a brotherly kind of love. Families are supposed to hang together past their failures and their faults and their disappointments. Maybe that's not the experience that you had in your, in your biological family. Maybe there was difficulty or struggle there. But the family of God is supposed to supersede those things. It's supposed to overcome those things. And the love that exists between brothers and sisters in Christ is supposed to hang together despite difficulty, despite hurt feelings or disagreements. Sincerity 
discernment, affection. Uh, the, the fourth one is honor. Paul says, outdo one another in showing honor. There's, there's two ways that you could take this, and the literature is unclear, in my opinion, on like where do we settle. So I'm just going gonna, gonna to share both ideas here. One is there that what, what Paul could be doing here is, is saying um, that we're to be putting ourselves in a frame of mind that says, I'm going to honor everyone around me. So they go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 3. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Again, Paul's not saying think of yourself as the worst possible human and everyone should step on you and walk on you and hurt you and abuse you and that is the recipe for happiness in the Christian life. No, what he's saying is, is don't be so self-motivated and focused all the time. Instead, count others and their benefit as more significant than just pursuing your own. That is a definition of love, by the way. To love is to will the best good for another person, isn't it? To love them is to say, I want what's absolutely best for that person. I'm going to work for it. I'm going to, I'm going to do everything I can to, 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 to supply and to help that person get to the best place for them. The other way it could be interpreted is that there is a, 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 a conversational or a speaking kind of honoring that's going on in, on a regular basis in the church. And Paul could be fostering a kind of a competition here where what we're doing is we're seeking to speak positively about people, where we are demonstrating loyalty to one another by honoring them. We're affirming when somebody disagrees with us or, or maybe you know, somebody who's in leadership says, no, we're not going to do your thing, we're going to do my thing, we're going to go my way, that we don't dishonor them by talking bad about them. Instead, we honor them when we say, they're wise, they're smart. Isn't it, isn't it so easy to reflect negatively on the character qualities of others. It's so easy just to get into this conversation where we say, you know what, yeah, they're not that, they're not this, they're not like this, they're not like that. You know, we just kind of list off all these negative things about them. It takes a little more effort and energy to say, no, they're good at this. They're really good at that. They're excellent here. They're strong there. This ought to be a community where people are honored and esteemed highly, where people can come in and be their true selves and not have to fear that their weaknesses and struggles will always be on display and be used against them, but instead where they can be seen as contributing, right? Think about the analogy of the body, right? I, I, I like my hands. Um, I was, uh, I, was, I was doing a little bit of uh, cooking on the grill last night, and uh, the grill was acting up. It was, it's, this is not a good grill. Um, and, and so, you know, everything was like on fire at one point, and Nancy came out, and she's like, you know, just checking on the status of the chicken. I'm like, status on fire. Um, and, and so I had, to, I had to reach underneath the grill because I thought that's what, and so I burned my hand. And, and, and so now my, my hands are... You know, I'm, I'm very like aware of my fingers, and I'm just not normally that aware of them. You know, and, and so my fingers are causing me causing me pain today. 
You know, do I think less of them? No, they'll get better, right? They'll get, they'll get back to working order. These two fingers aren't better than, or less good than these two. Like they'll, they'll, let's just, let's stick with them. Let's, let's hang on to them. They'll, they'll be better. You know, do I get angry at my hand because it's not good at pumping blood or, or doing math? That's not its function or its purpose. Instead, what we ought to do, instead of trying to smash everybody in the church into one form or measure them by one singular standard and say, this is a good person, this is a bad person, what we say is, these are people, these are, are human beings created in the image of God who have great value to him, and they've been drawn in to his family, and so we ought to honor them. So we have sincerity, discernment, affection, honor, next one is enthusiasm. Paul says, don't be slothful in zeal. What a great set of words right there. Don't be a sloth, a slug about your engagement of what is good and holy. Be fervent in spirit and serve the Lord. Don't be weak about running the race. You know, being a Christian is really hard. It's so difficult, right? No, be enthusiastic about it. Can you truly, honestly say the best moment of my life is when I understood and embraced the gospel? Everything has changed since then. You know, sometimes I will correct people. I try not to be smarmy about it. You know, they'll say, oh, you were wise for marrying the, the woman that you did. You know, I'll say, second best decision I made in my life. You know. And sometimes you got to explain, hey, that's an opportunity to create a gospel conversation. By the way. Um, so, you know, uh, as long as it works, you know, be careful. Test this out on your spouse before you use it in public, especially with them there. Anyway, okay, moving on from the unplanned distraction there. The idea here is not to lag in your, in your zeal. We have, we have this thing nowadays called lag. Has anybody noticed this? Why is the Wi-Fi not keeping up? You know, I'm paying $85 a month. Comcast, you know, why isn't my web page showing up right now? DVDs do that thing where they like skip and lock and you're like, but the movie. It's a struggle when, when we are not engaged. What we ought to be, as, as Paul is saying here, is fully engaged in our faith. Zeal is, is good as long as it's according to, to knowledge and according to truth. And so what he's saying here is, is be aglow with the spirit. In, in ancient Greek, this uh, word here for, uh, for zeal is used in connection with a pot that is bubbling, you know, like a chili pot. Like, you know, you know, it's ready. We're getting close. It's, it's good. It's, it's getting cooked. The direction of our zeal, though, is not just to be energetic and bubbly and, you know, run in every which direction. It's to serve the Lord, his will his way. Be excited about the things that God is excited about. Sincere, discerning, affection, uh, honoring, enthusiastic. Our love also ought to be patient. We ought to have perspective. You know, sometimes in, in the midst of church life, people get all up in, in a, in, they get all worried about this latest thing that's happening. You know, this latest discovery or this new person who showed up or this person who's upset or this person who's angry and everybody gets all 
you know, upset and, and nervous about that. Paul is saying here that, that the church ought to have a long perspective. I think it's Chuck Colson who said that, that it's a, it, the churches think that it's a mortal sin to be five years out of date with the things that they're doing, right? You know, they're, they're doing something that somebody thought was revolutionary just a couple of years ago, and, and man, culture's moved on. He said churches ought to try to be about 500 years out of date, you know? Stick with the historical faith. Stay, stay in, in, in perspective. Now, does that mean that we ought to have candles and not lights? Let's not be ridiculous, you know? Uh, instead, what we ought to do is hold fast to what's true. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in the midst of tribulation because tribulation will come on individuals and churches. It is guaranteed. Just wait. But in the midst of it, be constant in prayer. And so our love ought to be defined by uh, the fact that we don't panic immediately when things go wrong, that we remain calm and we keep our perspective. Because what is the source of our hope? What is it that enables us to be patient in the middle of struggle? What helps us endure? What keeps us praying? Isn't it this? Romans 5.2, through Jesus, we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand, and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. One day, Christian, you will stand in God's presence, and you will be holy enough to endure his holiness because of what Jesus has given you. That is your hope. There's another piece to it, and that's this. Romans 8, 24. In this hope, we were saved. And what he's talking about there in Romans 8 is the coming of the Lord, that all the difficulty and all the struggle that we endure will be changed and transformed and fixed by the second coming of Christ. That is what we are looking towards. We sang it better this morning, right? You know, that that uh, the trump will resound and the Lord will descend. Bless the Lord. Praise the Lord, oh, my soul. Love within the church should be sincere, discerning. There ought to be genuine affection. There ought to be honor. There ought to be enthusiasm. The love within the church ought to be patient. It also should be two qualities here, generous and hospitable. Verse 13 says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. What he's talking about here is, is sharing what we have. Sharing what we have within the community, right? When I burned my hand yesterday, you know, and it wasn't horrible. If you look at it, you'll be like, you're kind of being a baby. You turned that into a giant sermon illustration. Yes, I did. Whatever works, right? Um, you know, it was suddenly like this was the most important region of my body, right? Whatever's going on with my toes and my ears and, you know, all that fades, right? Now my eyes are super important and I'm like checking it out. Like what degree burn do I have here first? Like it, are there half degree burns? Is that, yeah, this is, this is, it really is nothing. But when the body is in pain, when somebody is hurting, when they are grieving or when they are in need, Resources ought to flood to that part of the body. Care and affection, prayer, support ought to go there. Contribute to the needs 
of the saints. What do they need? How can we help you? How can we love you and support you? We also, as Paul is saying here, ought to seek to show hospitality. Generosity to the needy within, but also hospitality towards visitors. Care and genuine affection. When we see new people or needy people come towards the church, we ought to be a church that says to them, this can be a home to you. You are welcome here. Welcome to our family. How can we help you? And then genuinely care and love for them. Now, that doesn't mean that we ought to say, oh, you know, you need, you need the soundboard? Here you go. Walk off with it, right? Uh, my, pa- my friend Larry, he pastors up in... Uh, yeah, up in Seaford, and he said one morning a, a man came to church, and when the service was over, he was walking out the front door with a television. And they were like, what are you doing? And he's like, well, my television's broken. I need a, I need a TV. And he, they were like, yeah, we're supposed to contribute to, the, to needs, but, yeah, you don't get to just choose to take that. And they let's, let's talk about awkward, like, let's, right? Welcome. Please come back next week. Thanks, right? You know, you're, you're taking it away from them. Now, the word that's used here for showing hospitality, uh, other, verse, other translations will, will say practice hospitality, right? Like the diligence towards uh, practicing it. But, but this word is also used in other places where it is to pursue something. And so as believers, we ought to be careful and ready to show hospitality to others. But we also should, we, we, should, we should be attentive to what it means to be hospitable, but we also ought to be looking for opportunities, right? When we say at the very beginning of the service, you know, shake hands with someone we do, you don't know, introduce yourself, that's because there might be somebody here who's never been here and they feel awkward, like somebody may, will somebody talk to me or see me or recognize me? They want to feel like they're, they're a person, we ought to show them hospitality and to seek out opportunities. Okay, uh, the, the, the next one is this, uh, that, that, that there ought to be goodwill as, as a quality of our love. We will move on in 17 through 21 to talk about how the believer is to demonstrate goodwill towards their enemies. But there ought to be goodwill within the community when there are misunderstandings, right? He says in verse 14, bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Sometimes we don't get along with each and every person, right? Sometimes we don't have smooth fellowship with each and every person. Sometimes people don't guard what they say or we don't guard what we say and and some interpretation about a person gets out and it gets back to somebody else and then there's hard feelings, right? And it's like they said, what? And now suddenly we are not speaking the voice of blessing, right? Instead we're saying, oh, bless them, you know? Down in the South, they'll say, bless your heart, right? That means you're dumb. That's what that means, yeah. Jesus says, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. When there is misunderstanding in the church, when there is trouble within the church, when someone has gossiped about you or you have said a wrong thing, the, the response is not to, you know, go to war. Instead, the response is not to return in kind. 
but to take the higher road, to love and to care, to do good to those who have abused or cursed, to continue to pray for people who you don't get along with, right? So if the hard attitude is like, they said, what? I'm taking them off my prayer list. No, that's the exact opposite of what we ought to do. We ought to demonstrate goodwill even when there is a breakdown in community because there was a breakdown in community between every single human being and God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and he acted in goodwill towards humanity when we were not at peace, and he made peace. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 15, rejoice with those who rejoice, weep with those who weep. We ought to celebrate births and marriages. We ought to celebrate promotions. We ought to celebrate all kinds of of good things in the lives of others. But we also ought to weep at weeping opportunities. Brothers and sisters, we ought to attend each other's funerals. The funerals that go on within families. We ought to be there to support one another when difficult things happen because love doesn't stand distant. Send the card. People will often ask me, they'll say, what should I do? Should I contact them? Should I text them? Should I send them a card? Should I volunteer? The answer is always going to be yes. Go ahead and express your affection. Now, don't just show up at somebody's house and, like, start cleaning it or something. Like, they might not be ready for that. But instead, you know, demonstrate that you are there for them because love doesn't stand distant. Love joins with. It identifies with. It suffers when someone is suffering. Love sings when somebody else is singing. We, we feel a sense of, of identity with somebody that we love when they are upset or when they are rejoicing. We're excited for them because we care for them. And so love engages. Two more. Uh, Love is harmonious. Paul speaks to the Philippians, and he says that we're to be of the same mind. We're to live in agreement with one another. We're to have a common mind. We're to have some basic convictions in, in, in common with each other. Now, this, might, you know, this, is a, this doesn't mean that we all ought to be passionate about this ministry or that ministry, that we all ought to have the same view towards each and everything. But in general, we ought to feel that love is the mark of the true Christian, right? We ought to be of the same mind about that. Why? Because it's in God's word, and it is the fulfillment of the great command. And so we ought to be in harmony about that. And when there's difficulty or trouble within the body, and and somebody comes and says, here, I believe, is where you are out of harmony with the body, we ought to say, if they're right, you know what? You're right. We surrender our pride, and we make peace. And that's where Paul goes next in verse 16, the second half of it. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Uh, I think it is Ken Blanchard who said that feedback is the breakfast of champions, right? To which I think, I remember Wheaties being the breakfast of champions. And Wheaties are nasty, (laughs) right? Feedback is horrible. 
When somebody comes to you and says, hey, in love, they come to you and they say, you're doing this super unhelpful thing, my reaction is generally like, oh, quickly, let me write you a list of unhelpful things that you do, right? But, but, but feedback, right? I mean, eating, eating your Wheaties, eating your Wheaties and, and not being haughty and not being wise in your own sight is to say, let me measure that against myself and my behavior and see if that is actually true. And if it is true, then what that person has done for you is loved you and told you what everybody else already knows and is too afraid to say to you, right? They have truly, honestly cared for you. Don't be haughty. Don't split the church into upper and lower or good and bad or right or wrong. Instead, associate with the lowly. Jesus made friends with people that, and we still can't figure out how to be friends with some of them 2,000 years after his coming because, because we, we think that there needs to be distance and separation. What we ought to be is humble regarding ourselves and open regarding others and to seek to be servants and vessels of the gospel. Paul says at the end here, never be wise in your own sight. He's saying, lower yourself. Don't condescend. Make real friends with real people. As we close, let me say this. Love is the yardstick. Paul has given us a list of a a way of testing our love and saying, is our love genuine and true? Offerings come and go. Buildings get built and they're perfect and then they eventually fall down. Everything needs to be maintained and replaced. Crowds shift. That's what happens. What is it that defines a church community? Jesus is very clear It's our love for one another that whether the building is in perfect condition or failing, whether the budget is being met or not, whether the attendance is at an all-time high or at a frustrating low, that is something that demonstrates whether or not there is a real church present, whether this group of people gathering in a building that we call a church, whether they are the true disciples of Jesus. And so let me encourage you to focus on measuring your love by the standard that God sets and running the race with joy. Paul says to Timothy, not be perfect. He says, let your progress be evident to all. And so the encouragement is to grow in a community that loves one another and to grow towards maturity. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning and to hear this word. We pray that that you would help us to do this very difficult thing. It It is frustrating at times to be in deep relationships with human beings. It is hard to work with a group of people towards a common cause. It is it is difficult to deal with failure from others at times. But we know that you call us to be patient and virtuous and to honor and to show affection and to work for the good of others. And so we pray, Lord, that love would help us to transcend each and every difficulty that we encounter in community. We pray, Lord, that you would help us see this as our greatest work to love 
the way that you have loved us. We pray that you would help us to do that as you fill us with your spirit. We ask this, Lord, for your glory, by your grace, and for our joy. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand and sing a closing song together.